All right, we good? Yep. Here we go. Hello. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of July 21, 2014. This is episode 238. Uh, 238. <laughs> 238. And I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. Joining me today are Jackie Olson, account manager with Interval. And Adam Meyer, principal at Interval. Your uh, pronunciation of eight reminded me a little bit of the Cali- the Californians. <laughs> take the two, th- take the two thirty eight to Valhalla <laughs> Drive. What are you doing here, Devin? That was funny one and a half times, yeah. and then they literally did it ten times. Yeah, it got old. It got Where old was this very, time? Though? Very fast. Saturday Night Live. Oh, I should have known. Yeah, yeah. It sounds vaguely Californians. Familiar. The Californians. Although I will yeah. say, when I speak to my Californian <laughs> friends, I, it is not. There are aspects of that that ring true, much much like the the aspects of of you know the the stereotypical North Dakota or Minnesota, you know Norwegian accent or whatever it is. The, oh yeah, ah, sure. Oh, oh yeah. You know you'll you'll hear that <laughs> creep out every once in a while from almost anybody who lives up here, even if they especially Jackie. It's, I <laughs> especially know. I'm really Jackie. bad at it. <laughs> So we can we can rip on the we can rip on the Californians knowing that uh, we can poke fun at ourselves as well. Yeah, don't you know? Yeah, we're all guilty. <laughs> if you watched if you watched Fargo, which was a phenomenal show, they like in the movie they exaggerate the hell out of that. Mm-hmm. And you and you kind of when you're from here, it gets old after a while because you roll your eyes and go, "It's really not that bad." And then you come across somebody and you're like, "Wow, some people are like that." Siri? Literally, oh yeah, geez, yeah, sure, sure. I'm gonna go fishing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no joke. Wow. Tim's Tim's family is from. Fargo <laughs> Listen to and- you. You just did it. <laughs> it's <laughs> no joke. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. <laughs> no joke. You know. <laughs> Seriously, though, his parents are obscene. I mean, it's straight out of that show. So if you think it's exaggerated, it's not in real life. In some places. <laughs> yeah. In Fargo, I know it's really not. Fargo. Even the way Fargo. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> okay so if you're not familiar with our podcast we you know we asked our listeners to come up with a description and we got no submissions so people must <laughs> forgotten or just don't care i'm not going to read the one we always use if you're not familiar with our podcast this is ostensibly about healthcare marketing and branding particularly hospitals and health system focused uh and we usually hit on at least one if not two or three topics related to that uh, but we also, as you already can tell, if this is your first time listening, we tend to stray into a lot of other areas that have nothing to do <laughs> with healthcare or marketing. So popular culture, TV, movies, music, uh, memes, or memes, or however they're pronounced, <laughs> Mem- um, memes, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll go all over the place. So, you know, you kind of have to just buckle in and, and come along for the ride, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Is that a fair description? Oh, that's very Sounds fair. good. We we'll like our MEMS. MEMS Health. <laughs> MEMS Health. MEMS Health event. The MEMS Health Center. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we dive in, we've got a meaty topic today. 
and we don't always have meaty topics, but this one could get really um, existential and, and beefy. Yeah. Uh, before we get there, some announcements. Uh, first, the speaking agenda. Uh, lots of speaking coming up. The first one is uh, actually this week, if you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be in Orlando on Thursday at the Florida Hospital Association Communications Conference. Speaking on Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital. And then just a couple of weeks later in Austin for the Texas Hospital Association's 2014 Healthcare Strategic Communications Summit, where I will be talking about content marketing. And then September 24th, somewhere in the Wisconsin Dells, I will be at the Whippermiss Annual Conference, which is the Wisconsin Healthcare Public Relations and Marketing Society. Doing digital marketing transformation with old pal Chris Boyer. He is old. And then he is old. And then another couple of weeks after that in New York for not New York City, but somewhere in New York for the Haney's Communication Conference, where I will once again be speaking on content marketing. So Lots of speaking coming up. <laughs> uh, we also have a new book coming out. Uh, you heard me reference Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital, which is now almost exactly three years old uh, when it came out <clears throat> 2011 in August. Still speaking on that, but we have Joe Public 2, Embracing the New Paradigm, which is the going dose. to the dose. <laughs> It's good. the Ocho. The Ocho. Extreme it's sports gonna, quarterly. Or obscure yeah. sports quarterly. Is that one? It's going to hit in mid-September. Uh, that one is specifically about how you cross the bridge from the old paradigm of promotional mass advertising as your primary marketing vehicle for hospitals and health systems to embracing digital and content marketing, which is where you want to be. But how do you get there? Who knows? Read the book. It's coming soon. Is any it? other any other stuff? We're gonna be at Shushmid. We should start talking about that. We're gonna be at oh, yeah. the Shushmid conference in San Diego, which is mid October. I don't have the dates right in front of me. And like we did last year, we're gonna be podcasting live, live from San Diego. Good night, San Diego. What's the famous <laughs> saying? And go beep yourself, San, is it, is it San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, San, San Diego. Diego. That's where he's from. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. San Diegans. San Diegans. San Diegoites. <laughs> and we should also say, you know what? We never do this either for new people. If you don't know what Interval is, you can check out thinkinterval.com. I should have mentioned thinkinterval.com slash JP2 to find out more about the book and to register to be notified when it releases. Uh, but if you don't know anything about us, We are a healthcare marketing firm, as I mentioned at the outset of the podcast, and we focus primarily these days on digital strategy, interactive design, and content marketing, though uh, we do tackle broader marketing campaigns and efforts. Uh, We do some brand strategy work through our sister company, Blue Lake Brand Consulting. So uh, we have clients all over the country and uh, always looking to work with people that want to... Move to the good side. Come. Break the status quo. Come Smash the, it. Come to the good side. Come to the good side, Luke. Luke. We will be your father. <laughs> that should be our new tagline. 
We are your father. Who, who's we your daddy? We will be your father. Who's your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So are you guys ready to dive into a super deep, a little bit mind bender of a topic? I was born ready. This is, this is pretty deep, and I think it I think it goes right to the heart of, of what we talk about, but it's so, I don't know, it's got a little bit of um, minority report to it, a little bit of um, 1984, a little bit of dystopia, future, I don't know. Were you referring to the mm. Van Halen album? No. <laughs> I'm not, in fact. Honestly, I'm referring. Jump, jump. <laughs> I'm referring to two articles that hit about the exact same time. The first one came out in late June, uh, and it's called "When a Health Plan Knows How You Shop," and it was in the New York Times. And then I actually just ran across an article in Business Week, uh, the Business Week that's dated July 7th through the 13th. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's the date on it. Uh, the, the article is still not available online, but we'll definitely post a New York Times article. The Business Week article is called Your Hospital Knows Your Secrets. And in a nutshell, both of these articles are talking about the emerging practice of providers and payers purchasing consumer data and marrying that with their own data uh, for predictive analysis of essentially who's going to get sick and why. And there are various reasons they are doing this. Uh, obviously, if you're an insurer, it would be good to know. Well, we can talk about whether it'd be good to know. From the insurer's perspective, it would be good to know if your insured members are um, have certain habits or patterns that, A, you can you know correlate directly to um, – you know, bad health outcomes. So mm -hmm. if you see they buy a lot of potato chips, I guess you, you might want to talk to them about their cholesterol intake, but you can also look at the, the meta, the metadata. And for example, the New York times article talks about uh, some findings from the university of Pittsburgh medical centers, insurance arm, um, such as people who buy furniture through Ikea, um, are more likely, well, that's not right, mail-order shoppers <laughs> and internet users, for example, were more likely than other members to use emergency services. Mm -hmm. So using metadata, they can come up with these Weird. correlations, uh, yeah, and then they can apply it to individuals and say, hey, based on what we know about you, um, you might want to think about this or that. So that's from an insurance standpoint. From a provider standpoint, uh, it's a little bit of the same thing. Um, to me, it's almost... There's a creepy factor to all of this, mm -hmm. but the example in Business Week is um, they talk about Carolina's healthcare system. I think this is worth reading the whole thing, so just bear with me here. Carolina's healthcare, which runs more than 900 care centers, <clears throat> blah, 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 has begun plugging consumer data on 2 million people into algorithms designed to identify high-risk patients so that doctors can intervene before they get sick. So there's a minority report which was all about arresting people before they committed a crime. Right. <laughs> the company purchases the data from brokers who call public records, store loyalty program transactions, and credit card purchases. Information on consumer spending can provide a more complete picture than the glimpse doctors get during an office visit or through lab results, says Michael Dulin, Chief Clinical Officer for Analytics and Outcomes Research at Carolina's Healthcare. The Charlotte-based hospital chain is placing its data in predictive models that give risk scores to patients. 
Within two years, Doolin plans to regularly distribute those scores to doctors and nurses who can then reach out to high-risk patients and suggest changes before they fall ill. What we're looking to find are people before they end up in trouble, says Doolin. For a patient with asthma, the hospital would be able to assess how likely he is to arrive at the emergency room by looking at whether he's refilled his asthma medication at the pharmacy, has been buying cigarettes at the grocery store, and lives in an area with a high pollen content, Doolin says. The system may also look at the probability of someone having a heart attack by considering such Sorry, it's just bizarre. Considering such factors as the type of food she buys and if she has gym membership. Quote, the idea is to use big data. Big data. And predictive (laughs) models to think about population health and drill down to the individual level, he says. While Carolina's healthcare can share patient risk assessments with their doctors under the hospital's contract with its data provider, the healthcare chain is not allowed to disclose details such as specific transactions by an individual, says Doolin, who declined to name the data provider. This part I have double underlined. If the early steps are successful, though, Doolin says he'd like to renegotiate to get the data provider to share more specific details with the company's doctors on their patient spending habits. Quote, the data is, I'm going to read this with my own sarcastic tone. The data is already used to market to people to get them to do things they might not already be in the best interest of the consumer, he says. We're looking to apply this for something good. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Unquote. Okay. So that's the gist. There's more in both stories. Um, From a provider standpoint, obviously, there's two potential reasons you'd want to do this. One, with accountable care and population health management, if you are being reimbursed based on the health of your population, then knowing all of their habits and being using predictive analysis could help you better manage that population. The other, obviously, is marketing, uh, which really could be one and the same kind of um, strategy. But right. if you know more about people, uh, you're more <clears throat> likely or better able to tailor uh, service marketing efforts toward them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and the first article, New York Times, gets into that a little bit, and we'll talk about that. But before I go further, let me open the table for discussion. <laughs> what do you guys think of this? It's, it's creepy. It's creepy. It's cool, but it's a slippery slope, and that is some creepy stuff. And it's creepy. It's right there. Exactly what you said at the end of that quote is what's creepy about it. It's the this perception that... Um, we're entitled to it. We we have only the best intentions. You know, mm-hmm. this is it's fine for us to have it. You know, no, no, this 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 place, this resource shouldn't have it because they do, they do they would do bad evil things with it. You know, they would market to you or whatever. But we're we're going to do good things. We're concerned about your health and and we're we're entitled to all this information about everybody because of that. We're good. Yeah. We're the good guy. Listen to us. Love us. Nineteen eighty four. It it is creepy, but I also don't think it's that surprising. I mean, well, it's not surprising for sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not shocked or surprised by any of the things that they're looking at in here. Mm-mm. And maybe it it reminds me of that. And we talked about this. I feel like it was definitely a few years ago that Target situation with the right. young. Mm-hmm. Well, she the father didn't think she was a young mother, but apparently she was, and they used their data to kind of pinpoint her and. I mean, it still is definitely very creepy, but I don't know. Just with how how easily people have access to things, given your digital habits and everything, I'm just not. I'm not shocked at anything anymore. Yeah, it certainly is not surprising, and you know, now we're seeing you know like 
I think both Apple and Google have created these health kit type things that are, that are going to be you know integrated into the operating systems on the devices that we carry with us day in and day out mm-hmm. that can track all sorts of stuff about our our individual health and uh, you know pool it and you know at this point at least voluntarily we could provide it back um, to either our health providers uh, for some some type of integration with our medical record um, you know or other apps could tap into it. Um, you know, so I don't know. I mean, obviously there are pros, there are huge upsides to, to, to the collecting this data and, and using it for good. Oh yeah. Um, but, but are they, (laughs) well, it it depends on what we mean. Yeah. It depends on what you mean by good. You know, if you can use this, this, these huge, you know, tro it's, it's exactly what the NSA is doing. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. NSA collects all this information, which is a whole other podcast and drives me crazy. But they collect all of it and they look for patterns. And so if they can say, well, here's a here's a guy who committed a terrorist act and here was his behavior for two years. Now we know what a terrorist does or, you know, they've got enough examples of that. They can then look at, you know, they can pattern map that across all the data they have and say, oh, here's somebody else who's showing the same pattern. That's kind of what these folks are doing from a clinical standpoint, where they've got all this data and they can say, well, here's all the people we know had heart attacks, and here was their consumer behavior, and now we see a correlation between the two, so let's map all the other people who have the same consumer behavior because they may be candidates for heart attacks, and thus we need to get out in front of them. So that's the altruistic um, approach, Mm -hmm. and... It's hard to argue that that's not smart, especially if our system under Obamacare is shifting to incent providers to behave that way. If they're going to be reimbursed based on the health of populations they manage, quote unquote, um, then why wouldn't they use publicly available data? That's not the NSA. They're they're breaking all kinds of laws over there. This is they're buying this from um, firms that collect this data legally. We should assume, though I suppose in some cases may not, <laughs> right? So it's it's all out there, um, and they're just using it to help better keep people healthy. But it, right. it's still, there's a creepy factor to it in that I don't want my doctor to know that I ate at Wendy's last night. I don't. Mm-hmm. And I think if my doctor ever acted on that information, there would be... Uh, not pleasant conversation. <laughs> From who? Right? I mean, that's the last <laughs> comment was about, you know, uh, we like to get specific data in the hands of doctors. What's the value of a doctor knowing that I shop at, you know, Target and, and eat at Wendy's? I understand the predictive risk model right. that could be assigned, but providing my physician with that level of detail about me, it feels awfully intrusive. That I agree with. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. What's that? It's creepy. It's creepy. And the the New York Times article actually (laughs) gets into another concern, not just privacy, but the idea that this information could be used to target, you know, more profitable patients at Mm -hmm. the expense of non-profitable patients. Uh, and this is an example of something where we 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 joke about this because occasionally you get mainstream media, uh, you know, stories 
where they kind of take a look at what we do in healthcare marketing and you know it's almost like it's this expose and the idea that hospitals and health systems target better insured patients is such old news that's like 20 year old news 30 year old news <laughs> right it is but but they talk about it in here like oh gosh this is just this is going to you know push people to do this and MedSeq, who we know well, uh, I know a lot of people at MedSeq and actually think highly of them, kind of got caught up in this because the story talks about, it says, quote, some specialized healthcare marketing companies are tapping into specifics on individual consumers to help hospitals identify their most profitable patients and encourage them to seek more medical care. So that's a loaded statement because it makes it seem like you're encouraging them to seek more medical care as long as it's necessary medical care. Mm-hmm. then that's our system. So right. there's nothing wrong or bad about that. Unfortunately, this is kind of just a side talker on this. MedSeq, you know, they they kind of they talk about MedSeq in this article what they what they do. And for those of you who don't know MedSeq, they're a big part of what they do is CRM. So really this would be marrying CRM capabilities with the consumer data information so that you know literally what these people do and can better target them. That's really all this is. Uh, And part of that targeting is yes. Shocker targeting the people that are able to pay for your services. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know, what's unfortunate is this article cites a blog post uh, by Bill Andre, who I'm sure I've met before. He's the vice president for client strategy at MedSeq, which describes other techniques for influencing well-insured patients. Hospitals could send birthday messages to, quote, all high-value men and women, he wrote, or notify, quote, profitable individuals 18 and above, unquote, about special round-the-clock health care call-in line staffed by nurses and encourage those revenue-generating patients to schedule medical tests or appointments. Mm -hmm. So the New York Times asked, you know, saw this and asked MedSeq questions. Not only did MedSeq not answer the questions, they removed the blog post, which just looks terrible. Um, and who knows why they did it, but what this describes again is not like, oh my gosh, they've just discovered the body of Jimmy Hoffa, which if you're <laughs> under 40, you may, you may not even get that reference. <laughs> I got um, it. I got but it. But th- good, good. But it's, it's kind of like, Hey, that's our system. You may like it or not like it, but that's the system we have. And, and for hospitals and health systems to thrive still in this day and age, and serve the uninsured and serve the poor, they've got to bring in enough of the patients that can pay or they won't have the money to do that. That's right. just the system. Yep. So you can't blame MedSeq and you can't blame the system that's quoted in here for, for using that approach or any of the hospitals and health systems because mm-hmm. they all do it. Right. Yeah, There's a. I was listening to a great podcast uh, this morning. Let me... Remember the name of it? Uh, I've added a whole bunch of them recently. Ah! Here it is. It's called Exponent. Exponent. Ben Thompson and James Oliverth on tech and society. But today they're talking a lot about, a lot of times they talk about sociological issues and and just economic factors and how various things and technology impact that. And they're talking about Uber and talking about how Uber recently agreed, I think like in New York City or maybe all major metro areas that they're in, that they won't adjust their pricing model when it comes to um, 
cities facing like a disaster of some sort, like Katrina type situations that um, they won't like gouge, quote unquote, gouge the customer, you know, so that only people, you know, so that their prices are jacked way up. Um, Because, I mean, if you look at it from pure supply and demand, um, you know, that's that's unfortunately an example of a time when economically speaking, they should um, because it helps control, you know, the number of you know cars on the road. Uh, that kind of thing. Anyway, I, I can't get into the details about it, but it's really all about um, the. Ex- it was a, they talked a lot about the accessibility, making services like that accessible to you know the privileged um, in times of need. Uh, and so it's just it's interesting to listen to the the uh, someone you know intelligently speak about the economical impact of the decisions that we make on a front like that. And I just I mean it, it's easy to draw parallels between something like that and this, um, where as you pointed out, Chris, and I was going to say it if you didn't. You know, it's how it works. That's how you bring in money. And in order mm-hmm. to serve, you know, those who need to be served who don't have money, you need to, you got to pay for it somehow. You got to make money to, to do that kind of thing. And obviously there are, you know, ups and downs and considerations to take into, you know, things to take into consideration, you know, to do it responsibly. But you got to let, you know, at some point you got to kind of let the, economy do what it's got to do to make this kind of stuff work in a society like ours yeah yeah i mean like i always say we're a market-driven industry that's the way it is we're not a government-run healthcare system as much as some people would like to call it that it's not um it's certainly influenced heavily because medicare is the number one payer um i think where it gets tricky is you know you 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 have to bring in people that can pay for services so you can serve those who can't. That's the way the system works. What gets tricky is if first of all we're assuming all of the stuff we're talking about is ethically is done ethically uh, and appropriately, meaning you're not trying to drive in people who don't need care, right? Which right. is not a I wouldn't assume that about everybody or even most people. Um, that should be the goal: is you're only trying to serve people who need care. Uh, and not trying to drive in people. There's a there was a statement in one of those articles that was kind of inflammatory, like we're trying to drive more care from them. Well, you know, we're not trying to get them to buy more healthcare. We want them to be served by what's appropriate. That's the ethically appropriate thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're only targeting people that can pay for that, so let's just say it's like, let's say using this consumer data, you can identify people that are at risk for diabetes, type two diabetes better than you could before. If you're only going to proactively approach the people who can pay for diabetic care, then there is an imbalance there because the people who can't pay are not going to have the same access to that care because they're not going to hear about it. They're yeah. not going to have the same incentives. Um, and I get that. I think that's a that's a very fair criticism. But I'm not sure how to um, balance that with well, if if you're going to go out there and spend a lot of money to bring people in, you can't have all those people come in who don't who can't pay for the services. So it's it's you know my fiance works on the other side of all of this. She works with um, people that don't have insurance and don't have money, and so she's constantly in my ear about this very topic. Mm-hmm. How it's it's really unfair to the poor, and the system is completely imbalance for them and i i don't disagree with that i just don't know how to i don't know how to rectify that situation you've got to let these these providers make enough money to serve them because if they can't then there's gonna be nobody to serve them right right 
So that's why it's mind bending and thick and sticky. It or or it has to go, you know, or we go completely socialized on the whole system. Right. You, and that's, you know. And even if we went socialized, even if right. we went even socialized, then, yeah. we would still have a private level of care, just like other socialized health systems do, France, England, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can have the same argument. Right. Because undoubtedly you get better care when you can pay for it. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have a basic level of care. We kind of do have that. It's just default and unplanned as opposed to a planned system. So mm-hmm. right. anyway, those are very good articles. I wish we could post the Business Week one because I think that's more yeah. relevant to our, our audience. But it's not available online yet for some reason. So we'll keep an eye out for that. But we will post the New York Times one. Um, I want to. Can I go on a little rant here? Oh, what the heck? Of course. Because uh, you brought up Uber. And there's been stories about Uber and Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. What's that? And Airbnb is this, it's exploding, this company. Yeah, and it yeah. basically enables people to rent out or lease out their houses or apartments with other people. Oh, oh so I have heard of it. Okay. Yep. It's, it's kind of like the part of Uber where anybody can drive and you just, you know, it's it's like... Mm-hmm sharing that's what it's called the sharing economy um and what i'm struck by this is going to be old man rant so the younger you are the more you're going to not like this um i'm struck by the people behind these efforts and their perception that the rules don't apply to them like they've come up with these these alternatives to existing models and in, in many cases, they're great alternatives, but they think they don't have to abide by the rules of those industries. So we know that Uber and the, and the other one, um, the other drive service, constantly run into, and Minneapolis are running into this, regulatory issues. Right. Because Uber doesn't want to have to license their drivers, like taxi drivers. They don't have to follow the same rules. They don't, what they don't, what, you know, Taxi service is regulated pricing-wise. They don't want that. Um, the Airbnb one finally caught me because in New York City, it's it's become this huge deal because you have all these people subletting their apartments mm-hmm. against their lease rules. Right. Right. So their leases say you're not allowed to do this. They're using Airbnb to do it. And now it's become... Uh, something where actually Airbnb was pressured by New York City officials to release the names of the people using their service in New York City so that officials, police, and whoever can go after them for breaking their lease because it's that big of a problem. Wow. Um, yeah. And what fascinates me is the response from Airbnb and the people that use it. They're basically like, we're the sharing society. We're a revolution, and we shouldn't be held back by these archaic things. Right. right. And all that tells me is you're just immature, and you think you can get whatever you want and not have to follow the rules. And it bugs the crap out of me. What What do you think gives you the right to break the law and sublease your apartment when that's written in black and white that you can't do that? And it's not a sharing you're not sharing anything. You're, You're making, making money, money off of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Chris, you, you, you must absolutely love the one that was forced to shut down or at least suspend service in San Francisco recently. The one that was all about selling your parking spot. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. 
Oh, so yeah. So there's this app. I think there might have been a couple of them, but one is called, I think it was like monkey parking or something like that. But the, <laughs> the idea behind the app is that you create an account, right? So the, the, com- the company that runs the app facilitates this transaction and takes a cut of it. So you're in your, you're in your parking spot. You're about to leave your parking spot. You get on the app and you indicate that you're about to leave it. And you basically put your parking spot up for sale and you will stay there in that spot. So if there's somebody else driving around nearby with, with the app running, they can bid on the spot or pay for the spot basically through the app and will, you will wait in that spot until they get there. And you'll also, you know, ideally they'd be within like five minutes or something and pull out and they would get the spot and then the transaction would be completed. So that person would pay, you would get a cut uh, for waiting of that payment with five bucks or whatever it might be. The company that facilitates the transaction would get their cut and that person would be, you know, out the five bucks or whatever for paying for you to wait. And then they would of course have to pay for the parking spot as well. Um, so but public parking, public parking. Yes. Okay. So yeah. And that and got shut, shut down. down. Uh, well, I think that it might've been, uh, what was it? So I, th- I think the one in San Francisco was a cease and desist from the city, like the city. But I, but I know that there was also one company and it might've been the same one that I think was sued by some other European company for taking the idea, their idea or something like that. Um, but anyway, it's, it just, it, they, they all strike me as being very similar in terms of this yeah. whole, you know, taking, you know, d- leveraging these situations you know, to, From, I don't yeah. know if it's, if it's right or wrong, or I mean, it's, it's, it's a gray area, but it all feels kind of shady. I, I don't mind the concept of trying to reuse or leverage assets like parking space time or your house. Like if, if I want to lease out my house to somebody or let them stay there for two weeks, mm-hmm. fine, that's totally fine. And if there's services that allow me to do that, like Airbnb, that's fine. I think where it gets crazy are these people that believe it's their like god-given right to do that when it breaks contracts i think uber has yeah uber has a little bit of that too like for some reason they should be allowed to not have to follow tax regulations you know it's hard for people to remember those have all grown up for reasons (laughs) so you don't get crazy taxi drivers that aren't licensed or people don't get hurt or injured or robbed or raped or what all the things that can happen right and i know it sounds like old man like exaggeration but there's a reason for a lot of that stuff. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't review those kind of structures and models and, and push back on them sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. But there seems to be this attitude, and I'm tying it to that, you know, stereotypical millennial thing, which is like you're you were grown up you're raised as the world was your oyster and everything revolves around you. And and it just came across in these two articles I read in Vanity Fair and one other one. I was like, wow, yeah. these folks just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen the Uber stuff in the news and I'm, I don't think you sound like a grouchy old man. I'm more in your camp because I'm just kind of amazed how they've managed to skirt any sort of taxi regulations to this point anyways. And just, yeah, their attitude is really kind of interesting. So, I mean, I'm in agreement with yeah. you. So it's not because you're old. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too. Grumpy I mean, old I, man. I do wonder if it's if it's because of that attitude or if it's more of a f the system attitude, you know that that's like 
you know, been screwed enough and, or it's so complex, I'm not even going to try to take the time to, you know, whatever, whatever is behind the whole F the system. You know, I've certainly had, had my share of F the system sure. moments. You know, is it driven, is it driven more by that? And is like this, this just annoyance with, um, you know, overregulation and mm-hmm. policies that are, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, reach beyond, you know, what's, you know, reasonable, which obviously that's subjective. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to know what's. I mean, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's a lot behind it. From the, you know, in, in the uh, f f the system to the whole. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Where you think you deserve everything? Entitlement. Oh, entitlement. You know? That's yeah. the word. There's just a real sense of entitlement with a lot of this. But it is. You know, I, I think Uber is fine if it if it plays by the rules, and I think Airbnb is fine if it plays by the rule. It's that entitlement right. that. We don't have to. The the quote that I read was like, you know, there's like a a sharing sharing economy or sharing yeah, society. Yeah. Sharing and, economy. You know, I think it's a book. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and there's like a an organization, almost like a um, a political organization, and they've got like a mantra, and they get get all these signatures, right. and and I just it just sounds so funny like they're like they're rising up because they're entitled to share this stuff and it's like no you're not entitled to share your apartment you don't own that apartment right you leased it under certain rules and tough beans mm-hmm. i mean it, it's just it's kind of funny to, to hear these people in there and like it's their right so anyway i don't know what got me off on that uber and <laughs> big big data <laughs> well yeah and the, the podcast i was talking about this morning when their whole the whole thing they were talking about with Uber was, um, you know, these guys, they certainly think that Uber is, you know, the, the, the future of, you know, public sure. transportation in that realm. And I, you know, I think they're doing cool things. They just got to figure out how to, how to do it right. But yeah. it was interesting to, to listen to them speak about, um, you know, the, the accessibility of those services and, and yeah. they, were, they were both of the mindset that no, you don't, you don't, it's it's actually not in society's best interest to tell Uber they or to force Uber to not jack prices way up during those times because it's actually good to keep you know to to not congest the road with everybody anybody who could you know pay two bucks to get in a car or whatever you know it's it's like there there are times when limited access to those services is good from a commercial entity and if you know if that happens to create a shortage of access that's not the commercial entity's problem that's the you know the city's problem why 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 is there not public transportation available at the scale that it needs to be available um and why you know why are you pu- punishing a commercial entity for that so anyway it, it was interesting to listen to and you know it's a part of me where you know my my conservative side is nodding my head while my liberal side is like yeah but the people so <laughs> the people don't forget the people <laughs> All right. Well, that was a weird rant. I apologize for that. That's, that's just, a good one. That's a bit in the back of my It's all right. That's all right. That's what happens when we... I don't know if I feel better. <laughs> I feel dirty. <laughs> I don't know if I feel better. Well, that's not better. <laughs> no, it's not. All right. I don't know if we should go into the other two. We could save them for another time because I think both are... are yeah, we're, we're pushing about 40 minutes, so... All right. Yeah. Time. I was excited about the second one, but then you had to rant... I'm That's sorry. Right. We'll save it. We'll come back yeah, to we'll it. Yeah, we'll save it. It's it's, it's kind good. of a time. It's kind of a timeless. It is. Piece. So no, that's true. It's, it's been fine. around since 1937. It's not going anywhere. That's true. Yes. All right. Oh, so cool. should we sign off then? <laughs> sure. All right. For arrogant healthcare marketing bastards, this is Chris Bevelo. 
Jackie Olson. And Adam Meyer. We'll talk to you next week, baby, hopefully. 